Uh, good uh, morning, Christ City Church, and uh, thank you, dear friends, for joining us and um, the opportunity that we have to hear about the ways that God is using um, organizations like Serve Your City and World Relief and uh, Playtime Project. It's, it's an honor to stand with you. Um, my name is Matthew. I serve as one of the pastors here at Christ City. I want to say happy Valentine's Day. Uh, wherever it is that you are today, whether you're here with us in D.C., sort of hunkered down amidst the freeze and the rain, or if you're joining us from somewhere else across the U.S. or the world, I pray that today that you're able to remember and to celebrate God's love towards you and to celebrate God's love expressed to you through those that love you and care for you. Uh, the, the, by the way, the, the origins of Valentine's Day and the holiday's namesake, uh, St. Valentine, uh, they're a bit clouded by history. There are a number of ancient patron saints within the history of Christianity with the name Valentine or Valentinus. And so it's a bit of a challenge to know which of them the holiday came to celebrate. One of the St. Valentines in the third century defied the orders of the Roman emperor who had outlawed all marriages, uh, believing that single men made better soldiers. Valentine, in protest of the law of the day that elevated misguided beliefs about violence and strength, continued to perform marriages, an act that cost him his life. Another Valentine uh, worked to free Christians from Roman prisons during intense persecution. When he was caught and imprisoned himself, legend says that he fell in love with his jailer's daughter. They would correspond to one another before his martyrdom. And the young minister would close his letters to his love from your Valentine. There are several other priests and popes who share the name. So again, uh, we're not sure exactly which specific uh, Valentine the holiday is seeking to honor. But what seems to be more consistent before the holiday took on this celebration of romance, that it was a holiday uh, of remembrance of valor, a, a remembrance of those Christian ancestors of ours who were motivated first by God's love towards humanity. And then with that truth as their impulse, they sought to love the world extravagantly and courageously and justly. And similar keeping to the three that we just heard from, Maurice and Brandy and Andrew, they, they sought to embody a faith in Christ that was marked by love. So friends, whether you give or receive flowers today, whether you eat some chocolates out of a box shaped like a heart or not, what we can all do today is to remember those in our lives who embody St. Valentine. Those who were transformed by God's great love towards them and then propelled into a world to show God's great love to the world in acts of compassion and kindness and justice and hospitality. And that are acts that point to a love that ultimately saves. So, uh, friends, again, uh, welcome to Christ City, and uh, happy Valentine's Day. This um, this morning, what I'd like to do is I, I would like to um, finish off our six-week uh, sermon series called The Deeply Formed Life. Over the past month and a half as a church, we've been reading through the book The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Velotis. We've been using the themes in the book uh, for our sermons, and we've been processing the material, especially the spiritual disciplines that are listed in the book. We've been processing that in our small groups. There's a, there's a reason that we wanted to start the year in this way as a church. 
And that was because we sensed God leading us to explore ways that we as a faith community and as individuals seeking to follow Jesus, how we might go about the work of deepening our relationship with Jesus and strengthening our souls. This is why we began six weeks ago with this series. As pastors and elders of Christ City, we we've just had this sense that, that, that we as a church and, and, and as a people that we're in a unique season of history and, and a unique moment in the life of our city. And we want to be a church that meets this moment with a, with a spiritual resolve that comes not through a fading emotion, but through a steady diet of anchoring ourselves in spiritual disciplines that continue to renew our minds and refresh our souls and sustain us for the work to which God has for us. However, as we have continued to say over the last several weeks, we don't just drift into trusting Jesus more deeply and more fully. There's often a, a, a rhythm to growing and trusting Jesus, a, a cadence, a, a discipline to regularly, daily returning to God and returning to God's word and, and God's work in our lives and God's work in our city. And the language that we've used to capture this desire is the language of the series and the book that we've been following. We want to develop deeply formed lives, lives that are deeply formed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and let me say also that, that we will not be shaped because we did a sermon series on this or because we read a book this work of being deeply formed, this necessity of being continually shaped and sustained by God, it must be ongoing. Just to give you a preview, by the way, in our next sermon series, we will continue some of these same themes. Beginning next week and for the next 11 thereafter, we will be spending time in Matthew 6, where we will spend a good long soak on the topic of prayer and we'll walk verse by verse through the Lord's Prayer. We want to explore Jesus' invitation and instruction to us on prayer. So get ready. But it isn't enough to only study prayer or to only just talk about prayer or read about prayer. We will be spending time in prayer. As was mentioned earlier, during the season of Lent from Ash Wednesday to Easter, we will be gathering as a church on Zoom each morning, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. to pray to join together and to join our voices together to pray, to, to pray prayers of intercession, prayers of, of celebration, prayers of lamentation, prayers of silence, prayers in tongues, prayers of all kinds, prayers for our own liberation from sin and prayers for the end of oppression, prayers for the salvation of our friends and family members and coworkers and children to be reunited to their parents and prayers for us to be sustained in the faith and the work to which we're called. And so church, I long for us to have together a deeply formed life that reflects a deeply formed faith and a deeply loving God for the sake of this deeply wonderful world. But we won't get there by half-stepping in shallow living and superficial part-time faith. And, and no, look, I ain't saying that it's on us to get it done, living into the vision of God's kingdom for our lives and for our world. It is absolutely a work of the spirit for sure. But God in his wisdom says that it won't happen without us. It's an invitation he extends to us. Church, what if this year 
of all years? What if this year was the year that we witnessed the power of God come in our lives and in our church and in our city? And what if we were prepared for it when it arrived? And what if God wants us to join in the heralding of it in our prayers and in our fasting, in our worship, in our collective spiritual disciplines and discipleship? That's why we began this series. It was out of an ache and out of a wonder and a desire to see the spirit move in us and among us in power and in tenderness. For us to join with the spirit in cultivating that in our lives and in our community, even as we pray for and labor for it in our city. That's how we got here. This week, finish out, to round out this conversation on deeply formed life, we want to we turn our attention to the value of missional presence. Now, look, the thing is, missional presence, it can sound kind of like churchy jargon, but what is at the heart of the phrase is the notion that we are called to be participants in God's work in the world, that, that we have a role of telling the tales of God's past activities in history, most notably the story of Jesus, and also being the bearers of the news of how God is working today, most notably in the places where God's kingdom is advancing. Now, I want to address a challenge to this phrase that, that we can encounter, and the, and the challenge is a historical one. When we hear mission in religious contexts, it can conjure in our minds a litany of tragic events in Western history and global history, wherein colonization and domination and violence and military intervention and cultural genocide and ethnic cleansing have been done under the guise of religious missionary activity. Catholic missions of California might come to mind. For all the history and reverence of them, for the Native Americans of the California coasts that were forced into them, there were brutal concentration camps with a cross on top. Other images of mission um, for you might be like mission trips. Uh, Short-term visits to other countries or other geographies, perhaps when you were a teenager in hopes of doing some good in Jesus' name. And uh, while <laughs> there may have been uh, some good intent and some good short-term outcome, these displays of mission, they just often carry their own unholy spirit of privilege and colonization and can lack thoughtful, honoring, incarnational approaches to caring for a people and a place that ought to mark those bearing the name of Christ. I mentioned this to just name some of the objections to considering mission and the baggage that can come with the word. Yet when we speak of, of, of missional presence, we're not meaning any of these tyrannical or dominating histories. And neither are we meaning ugly forms of, of poverty tourism that can parade as mission trips. That's, that's not at all what we have in mind. What we mean by, by missional presence is actually a, it's a more radical, it's a more rooted, it's, it's more in keeping with the original understanding of the word mission. What, um, what I mean, I think, is, is found a bit more in the passage that we read in John 20. You see, in John 20, in verses 19 through 23, the verses that we read earlier in the service, Jesus is giving instructions to the disciples. The scene uh, in John 20, Jesus has just been resurrected. 
It's right after his death and burial, and it just it's actually just moments after his resurrection. The disciples, they, they don't yet all know that Jesus has been raised to life. They still believe that he's dead, and they're, they're, they're crowded in fear in a locked second-story room in Jerusalem. And in John 20, verse 19, the resurrected Jesus miraculously appears to the disciples in this locked room. He comes to them in the midst of their fear, in the, in, in the wake of uh, their viewing of their Messiah's murder. And he says to them in, in verse 19, peace be with you. John 20, 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. The passage, it goes on to say that the disciples, they were filled, filled with joy when they saw Jesus. And then, and then Jesus greets them again with that same phrase, peace be with you. But then he says this second phrase, which is what I want us to settle on for a minute. He looks into these disciples who are just sort of wowed with this miraculous vision of Jesus sort of phasing into the room. And in verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He says to them, listen, peace, calm down. I'm here. Everything's okay. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Jesus is he's beginning in this moment or or rather he's continuing to impress upon the disciples that they are a sent people. They are those who aren't simply to gather uh, together for themselves and they aren't simply to be those that know Jesus and then live lives disengaged from the expanding nature of God's kingdom. They are those who have received something from God and then are sent out to proclaim and display the reality of that message that they have received. Through the New Testament, we see uh, this cascading and radiating nature of God's sending. Jesus says, as God the Father has sent me, he's beginning to articulate what theologians throughout the ages have referred to as the Trinitarian understanding of God's sending. God the Father sent Jesus the Son into the world to seek and to save those who are lost, Luke 10. The Father sent the Son to proclaim good news to the poor in Luke 4. The Father sent the Son to announce the kingdom of God is here and at hand in Matthew 3 and Matthew 4 and Mark 1. God the Father sent the Son. And now in John 20, Jesus is saying, just as God the Father sent me, so now I'm sending you. But Jesus isn't sending them alone. In a few chapters prior in John 14, Jesus told them that he was going to send the Holy Spirit who would go with them. In Acts chapter 1, we begin to see what's going to happen with the spirit that Jesus sends. We're going to see what happens when that spirit takes up residence in the lives of those that Jesus was sending. And they will be witnesses. And they will be those that give testimony to. They will be those that attest to the things that they have seen and that they have heard and and that they have experienced and been a part of with Jesus. In Acts 1, verse 8, but you, speaking to the disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the world. What he's saying is that you will be my witnesses. Start where you are, and then it will radiate out till it will eventually blanket the planet. You see, throughout the Bible, God is ascending God. 
God the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit empowers the sent people of God. And so when Jesus enters the room filled with fearful disciples and says to them, Jesus the Father sent me, so I'm sending you, there's a few turns of phrase that are important for us here. First, I want to point you point your attention to the verb tense that Jesus uses. I'm going to get a little nerdy here, so hang with me. The verb tense that Jesus uses in the original language for has sent, it's a verb tense that is describing something from the past that has present continuation. It's similar if I were to say that Lisa and I were married in 2001. It's an act that took place in the past, but it has present continuation. We were married in the past and have been married throughout and are married now. Past with continued presentation, with present continuation. In essence, what Jesus is saying is that God has sent Jesus the Son and continues to send Jesus. Jesus wasn't simply sent at some point in the past in history. He was sent and is continuing to be sent. However, what Jesus is noting is that the form of that sentness is now changing. Now that sending is through the disciples, those in that locked room in Jerusalem, those in this room here on 8th Street, and those of you in whatever room you're in watching this live stream. Jesus continues to be sent, but now it is through us, and now it is through you. The second linguistic note to make is actually the word for sent. This is the Father has sent me, so I send you. The New Testament was written in an ancient version of Greek. And so what we have are translations from that original language. The Greek word for sent is apostello. Now, it's a word that we uh, transliterate into English as apostle, which simply means a sent one, one who is sent. The words come to take on some other meanings in uh, recent religious climates, but at the root of it, it just means one who is sent. When the Greek version of the New Testament was translated into Latin, which was one of the first languages one of the first languages that the New Testament was translated into, the word apostello in Latin is missio, which means to send or to dispatch. Missio is where we get the English word mission. Now, I tell you all that to say this. When we talk about missional presence, what we are meaning is that we are to live as those who stand in the sent tradition of God who sent the Son, who sent the Spirit, who empowers us as the sent people of God to proclaim and display the good news of God's kingdom. Christ City, we are a sent people. We are a community on mission, meaning we are those who are sent for a purpose in the same way that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was sent. What Jesus wants to say to you and what he wants to say to me now on this 14th day of February is the same thing that Jesus said to those first apostles, those first sent ones. Just as I was sent, even so I am sending you. The, the, the question, though, um, that I think is instructive for us to consider is the ways that the father sent the son. What are some of the the defining characteristics of how Jesus is sent. And, and look, the truth is there are a number of virtues and 
a whole host of characteristics and marks that we could look at. We could, we could note that Jesus was sent in humility or he was sent in obscurity. We could note that Jesus was sent in power and at the announcement of angels to shepherds watching over flocks of sheep. We could note that Jesus was sent in poverty and powerlessness. Or we could reflect on, on Jesus being sent in the company of others who traveled and ministered with him. All of these and so, so many others, they are all worthy of their own sermon and their own series. But the two that I want us to, to remember uh, this morning is that Jesus was sent in love and he was sent in person. How the Father sent the Son? Well, John's gospel will tell us in John chapter 3. A very famous verse, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send apostolo, Missio, his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God so loved the world that he, that he sent, that he, that he apostolo, that he missioned his son. And our engagement in the world, our, our joining of God's kingdom, its expanding work, it must be motivated by love. God's love towards us and God's love towards the world that he created. Any of our work for justice must be motivated by love. Our, our acts of compassion and right making, they must be motivated by and animated by God's love. If our care for those caught in poverty does not reflect God's love, if our advocacy for affordable housing does not point to God's great love, if our, our preaching and praying and prophesying does not sound like the voice of a God who loves, well, then the, the Bible tells us that we're a clanging cymbal and just a noisy gong. Christ City, as we join with the saints at, at Serve Your City and World Relief, and as we stand with the advocates championing truly affordable housing, as we, as we support families through DC 127 and through the Plate Sign Project, as, as we provide diapers and, and flu shots and food through minor mutual aid, we, we do so because we are sent because we are sent to our city as ambassadors, carrying God's love and God's message of love displayed in Christ. That's why we do these things. That has to be the, the animator, the motivator behind it all. God sent the son by way of love. But he also sent the son in person. Jesus, Jesus was incarnated. Flesh and blood. Skin and bones, present in minds and in body. Jesus didn't love from a distance and neither should we. Uh, on our website at Christ City, there's a section where we talk about our calling as a church. One of the things that we say in, in that section as we were writing it and thinking about it and praying for it, we, we said that the place matters. Because Jesus took on flesh and blood, lived in a neighborhood and identified with a people. We also root ourselves in neighborhoods and identify with people. Our place is Washington, D.C. While many come to the city to consume it and to use it, we want to be among those who love it. What, what we try to capture in that statement is the vision for us to be a people collectively and individually to embody our sentness to be a people of presence, to not only love from a distance, but to intertwine our lives with the lives of others, 
I want to say just personally and honestly, I, I will say I'm a bit concerned that over this past year that that the muscle of embodied sentness has begun to atrophy within our congregation. I'm nervous that we've gotten out of practice and out of the habit of incarnating our lives and the lives of our neighbors and our neighborhood. And I understand the pandemic has certainly played a, a tremendous role in that as we've been unable to embody our faith with physical presence in the same ways that we once did. I, I get it. I, I understand it. And, and, and there's a rightness to that. And still, let us remember that we are a sent people. And let us consider imaginative ways that we can continue to embody our faith and display our faith and proclaim our faith using all the creativity and imagination and, and technology and old school front porch mask wearing hospitality that we can conceive of for the sake of the gospel and the sake of our world. Maybe just to close up, I started out this morning talking about St. Valentine or better said, all the saints Valentine. And again, what strikes me about all of their stories was that they were motivated by the pain of the world and sustained by the love of God. And in each instance, they displayed God's love at great risk and great cost to their own lives. And yet in each instance, their words and their actions, their words and their actions, pointed to a God who loves and who sins. Maybe this Valentine's Day, we could consider ways in which we too can embody the true spirit of all the Valentines and begin taking steps towards displaying the missional presence of God, joining in the work of displaying God's love and proclaiming God's love through our presence, our hospitality, our acts of kindness and compassion and justice, acts that ultimately point to the love that saves. We pray for us. God, we, we gather in this, this, this creative way, God, we gather together to remember your word and your promises to us. We gather to consider rightly the invitation to us. We, we gather to wrestle with this notion that we are a people who are sent as you were. God, I pray that, that even as we reflect on John 20, that, that, it would, that it would crash into our souls and that it would trigger thoughts for us about how we are to embody your love and to proclaim your love and display your love to our neighbors, to those that are right around us. However we can do that in ways that are faithful, God, I pray that we'd be courageous in doing so. Not out of our own strength and not out of our own fear or even out of our own courage, but sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit that comes on us and that joins us in our sentness and our sending. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.